Welcome to the Timeout Bulls podcast driven by Lexus. You can visit a Chicago area Northwest Indiana Lexus dealer today to test drive the 2017 Lexus RX. Welcome to another edition of Timeout Bulls. Our guest today is a Bulls icon, and we're not talking about a front office guy, coach, player. We're talking about our official team score, Bob Rosenberg, 51 years. That's the length of our Bulls franchise, 1966, our official score. And Guy Rogers was our point guard. You can go right down the list of different eras regarding the Bulls. And and we had Artis Gilmore. We had Michael Jordan. We had Derrick Rose. I mean, 51 full seasons of being at the scorer's table. And Bob Rosenberg, who just turned 76 a couple of weeks ago, has some fascinating stories about the history of our franchise. So let's go to Bob Rosenberg, our official score on Timeout Bulls. So, Bob, 51 years on the job. Let's go back to the inaugural season, first year of the Chicago Bulls. How did you get your job? Well, I did the Zephyrs and the Packers, which is now the Washington Bullets. When they moved, I wrote a letter to Dick Klein, and he sent me back, saw that I had two years' experience. And Dick Klein was the owner. Correct, of the Bulls. And he saw I had two years' experience and says, come on down. I've been there ever since. Ever since. So, I mean, give me an idea of being an official scorer before we get into the Bulls in the early years. You were with the Zephyrs and the Packers, professional basketball. It was the same team, Swords. The first year they were named the Packers. The second year they changed the name to Zephyrs, but it was the same team. That, that's a little strange, Packers, knowing the rivalry with the Green Bay Packers and the Chicago teams, uh, in this case the Bears. But but the reason they were called the Packers were they played at the amphitheater where the uh, slaughterhouse was. Yes, and, and we're going to talk about the amphitheater in a moment. So when you first started scoring basketball games, I mean, did you just walk in and say, I'd like to keep track of points, rebounds, I've got a book, and I can do that for you? How does one become an official scorer way back in the day? Well, I did it in high school. and uh, What high school was that? Evanston. When I went, the Sox had a, a game that day, and it was raining. I went up to the Packers office, see how much tickets were. I talked to Jack Burnett, who was the PR guy. We talked a couple hours, and he asked me if I could keep score of basketball. I said, yeah. So he hired me. And and the rest, as we know, is a great story because you're with the Chicago Bulls 51 years. You get the job with the Bulls, okay? And do you remember opening night? Yeah, it was against the uh, San Francisco Golden, well, San Francisco Warriors. So the San Francisco October Warriors, 18th, known by San Francisco right. at the time. And, and what was it like opening night? Where was the game? What do you remember about opening night? It was at the night? amphitheater. And I remember about the game was there was a fan who had a pet dog. And it was there in the front row of the seats. <laughs> so let me get this straight. It's opening night. Bulls, an expansion team, uh, playing the San Francisco Warriors at the amphitheater. And a fan brings his dog to the game. Correct. He was sitting in the front row behind me. I guess they were allowed to bring him in. It wasn't the one, the kind that 
you bring when you're blind? It was a regular dog because I got the pictures at home. <laughs> and how, how much were tickets? Do you remember, Bob? Yes, three dollars, four dollars. Then you won't see that now, Swirsk. And what do you remember most about opening night? Here you are. You're the official score of the new expansion Chicago Bulls. You're at the table, and you're witnessing the first ever basketball game of the Chicago Bulls. Well, I remember that uh, I was a little nervous because, you know, here's a new team. And at that time, I was doing uh, rebounds, assists, shots, and turnovers. Well, we didn't have turnovers then, but I was doing all that plus the scoring. And my late wife was doing the visiting team. So you were keeping score for the Chicago Bulls, and your wife, rest her soul, she was keeping score for the opposing team on the scores table. Correct. And you you mentioned turnovers. You didn't keep turnovers in those days? No, turnovers didn't come really until the ABA folded. When we picked up the three-point attempts, turnovers, uh, blocked shots, three-point attempts. Are you talking about the merger in the mid-'70s? Yes. So you're the official scorer. What was opening night? Were there a lot of fans? Was it a sparse crowd? There was about 4,300 fans, if I can recall. At the amphitheater? Correct. And and the amphitheater, describe the amphitheater. Well, it was a cozy place. It held about 9,000. And every seat in the place was pretty nice and, and cozy. It was a pretty nice place. And it, did it have like a feel of an old barn or was no, it? No, 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 no. It, it, it was a basketball. It was a play. basketball Yeah, arena. because the uh, Packers played there too before they moved. But it, it was a cozy place. It was good enough for basketball. Bob, when, when the Bulls became an expansion ball club, was there a buzz in the city about the Bulls coming as an expansion team in the NBA? Or was it, okay, we've been there, done that. We've tried pro ball. I'm not sure whether or not pro ball can be a happening event in the city of Chicago. Well, uh, the fans weren't ex- really excited. They, they still thought Traeger from the Packers, Zephyr, should have stayed at least another year because attendance picked up the second year, and he bolted out of Chicago. And you're talking about the owner. Correct. But uh, the fans weren't that excited yet. After, I would say, maybe a month or so, they got excited. I mean, the fans wanted to see the Knicks that year because they got Cassie Russell. Who's from Chicago. Correct. And they uh, tore the doors down at the amphitheater when they came in. Had over 8,000 people. <laughs> and what, what did the amphitheater seat? I would say the biggest crowd we've had in there was a little over 9,000. And, and during those days, Bill Russell was still playing for the Boston Celtics? Correct. And Wilt Chamberlain was still a very active player in those days, right? Yes. With all Philadelphia? The, all the big stars, Bob Pettit, Havlicek, Ramsey, Heinzen, you name them. And you saw them all. Correct. You saw Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as a rookie. You've seen everyone as a rookie. So, so Bob, it's opening night. Who was on the floor for the Bulls? Do you remember the starting five? Yes, it was Sloan, Guy Rogers, Irwin Muller, Muller, Jimmy Washington, and Don Coges. Don Coges, the former Marquette star, uh, who later went on to... Suit up for another expansion ball club, the San Seattle Diego. Supersonics, yes. No, San Diego. And, okay. And 
he left here because one of the newspaper writers uh, tried to say, talk him into going, leaving Chicago, that he didn't really have a good chance here, which he really did. Hmm. So, uh, again, opening night, Warriors, Bulls, you just announced the starting lineup. Uh, do you have the program from that game? Do you have the official box score of that game? Schwartz, I have the home program from every Bulls home game since they started. Wait a minute, let me get this straight. You have every program, home program, of the Chicago Bulls from opening night. All the way from through 1966, last year. 67, yep. the opening night. All the way through last year. And where are they? I mean, Bob, that's I a got, lot of programs. I, have I mean, how in, big a house do you have? Uh, 3,600 square feet. Oh, wow. I have them in big office supply cabinets. And I got all the box scores since day one. Every box Home score of the and Bulls, Rose, yeah. of, the, of the Chicago Bulls. And so they're in boxes. What are you going to do no, with them? No, no. They're not in boxes. They're in a filing cabinet. They're in a if filing cabinet. If i got to get to it or if they need them here, Tim Hallam and them, i got to you know, dig it out and make So if I them. wanted to see the program of Michael Jordan's opening night, 1984, against Washington, I believe, you've got that program. Correct. Hmm. Okay. Well, I mean, uh, are you going to do you keep them because it's important to you, or do you keep them with a vision one day of you know what? Maybe I'm going to put my grandchildren through school, or do you have any? Well, right now, Jack, I keep them because what I do every game that I've worked or that I put the play-by-play, the box in there, and the newspaper clippings the next day after the game, and so, I put them so, all in there. So the game is over. Next morning in the trip or sometimes, you clip out the story of the game. You put that inside the program along with the box score of the game, mm-hmm. and you've saved everyone since you started. The the 66-67 team, very, very competitive. Did they make the playoffs that year? Yes. They're the only expansion team to win 33 games. That's the most ever. And they the played 82 back then. Correct. Uh, no, they were, what was They it? play 80, somewhere I around I think it was 80. Okay. But, but they, the, made the, they made the playoffs that year. And their second game, people don't even know this. You may know. They played at the old Chicago Coliseum on 14th and Wabash. I did not know that. Yes. On March 23rd, 67, against the St. Louis Hawks. And you're talking about the playoffs. They, they played a playoff game. It is I, I assume the Coliseum is no longer there. They tore it down, probably. Correct. Uh, wow. Okay. So what do you remember most about that season? The head coach was Johnny Kerr? Correct. Uh, Guy Rogers uh, had 900 and some assists, set a record. Uh, Jerry Sloan, Jimmy Washington... They, they had a very competitive team. I liked them. They were exciting. So you moved from the 60s uh, to the early 70s, and things are starting to change. The Bulls get a little bit better talent, so to speak, and, and we start talking about Jerry Sloan, Norm Van Leer, Tom Borwinkle, Bob Love, Chet Walker, some really, really good players, Bob. Yes. Just discuss that period that, of time. That, that trade with Philadelphia 
We traded Jimmy Washington, I think it was, and Kaufman for Schaller Hallamont and uh, Chet Walker. Had to be one of the best deals ever. Why, why is that? Well, Chet Walker was the best one-on-one man you could ever find. He could take you to the baskets, it's worse, you and I, guarding him and score. He, he, he's a guy who I think belongs in the Hall of Fame and belongs up here with the other guys here in the United Center. Yeah, Chet Walker had a great pump move. I mean, we in today's modern age, we talk about Dwayne Wade having a great pump move and, and a guy like Paul Pierce. Chet Walker with a head and shoulder fake froze a lot of opponents and got to the free throw line because of that. A guy who does have his jersey retired here at the United Center, as he did at Chicago Stadium, is Bob Love, number 10. Uh, he's a Bulls ambassador. You saw him play in his prime. Describe Bob Love as a player. Bob Love was a top scorer and a top defender. He always guarded the top player from the other club. And he can shoot with the guy having his hands in his face. Bob was one of the best in my book. Bob Rosenberg is our guest on Time Out Bulls, our weekly podcast. This is Chuck Swirsky. Thanks for joining us every week right here on Bulls.com and our Bulls social media, along with Apple iTunes, as we revisit with Bob about some of the great glory years with the Bulls as we go into the Jordan period. But first, we have to talk about Van Leer and Sloan in the backcourt, because when teams played them, they knew they were in for a long, physical, tough night at the office. Yes, those two guys were very, very tops in defense. Van Leer. <laughs> and the officiating let him play, right, back then? Well, sometimes they did. Did you see a lot of fights in that period Van Leer, of the 60s, 70s? We, we, we'd get into a couple. Because that's the kind of guy he was. But he, it wasn't nightly. Right. Okay, because I think it's been embellished over the years that every ball game uh, back in the 60s or 70s, because there were fewer teams and the players really didn't have agents and there was no like connection. Once the season was over, you didn't see a player until you went to training camp. You didn't go hang right. out with the guys. So, I mean, it was a battle every night. And I think a lot of people feel that, well, there was a fight every night and the officials had to break things up, but it wasn't really. I mean, they right. got after it defensively and put pressure, but it wasn't like every night someone was going in with you know two teeth missing or you know I, I've got a bad elbow or knee. But also, Chuck, I think the best game was Tom Borwinkle getting a club record 37 rebounds against the Phoenix Suns in 1970, January 17, 1970. I don't think that'll ever be broken. Uh, well, Tommy's one of our favorite guys, 37 rebounds. And yeah, that's going to be a tough record to break. But Bob, here's a question I'm sure a lot of our listeners are saying, and I'm showing no disrespect to Tom whatsoever. We could be talking about any player. But as an official score, uh, I, I mean, is it a legit 37? Is it a legit 19 assists is a legit. I mean, because sometimes, you know, you, you kind of, not you in particular, but now the NBA has every game televised and they go back and they can, you know, rewatch a game and kind of, you know, massage things a little bit regarding stats, take away an assist, put an assist back on, maybe, you know, look for a triple double. If, But, but I mean, how, you were the boss, right? Everything was legit. 
Schwerz. You know where I'm coming from, though. Yes. Now, we had a game in uh, Indiana, and we were playing the uh, 76ers. All right, so the Bulls are playing a neutral site game, as a lot of teams did back then. I grew up in Seattle. They played in Portland before Correct. the Trailblazers had a ball club. Wilt came uh, came up to the guy who was doing the rebounds at that place, and he said, I could get this many rebounds sitting on the floor. He <laughs> called the league, and the league says, on the box, give Wilt 10 uh, rebounds more and Walt Bellamy. That's how they did it. So the league called you <laughs> and said, give Wilt 10 rebounds, give Walt Bellamy 10. 10. And, and, that, and, and why would the league do that? Just to sell the players? I and, guess so in those days. Wow. So, I, but, but how did you do that? Somewhere during the game, did you kind of, if he had 10 rebounds, you put 12. And you just, you didn't put 10 to start the ball game. No, no. It was after the game. After the game, the you added. Ball, and they told me to add it to, to their total okay. in the box score, final box. Now, did did any of the players, or to this day, do any of the players have a running conversation with you? Did you get to know visiting players? Have any players ever come to you and said, hey, man, I need a couple of extra rebounds tonight, whether they're kidding or not? Bill Bridges used to. Bill Bridges, a, a forward out of Kansas. Yep. He used to kind of say, well, will you cheese me out rerun, blah, blah, blah. It's okay. The guy that went to Iowa, Johnson. What was John Johnson. John Johnson. Rest not, his not soul, he f- just passed away. Yeah, right. He used to come up to the table. Every time he's going in, he'd look in a book and says, hey, I'm, don't I have a couple more points? And I wanted to say, why don't you worry about the team if they're winning or losing? The next time he came in, he says, I made two free throws. I said, yeah, I got them right here. He always would come up and... Wanted to make sure. Because, Bob, you're an official scorer in baseball as well, and sometimes if a guy thinks, hey, you know what, you got to give me a hit, give him an error, or vice versa, or a pitcher with a wild pitch or a pass ball. So you're used to this. But, I mean, um, does that still happen with players or nowadays? We have some that will come up during the game. They'll say, well, I had a steal or I should have gotten an assist on that. You know, sometimes we check it over and we're wrong. We change it. It's no big deal to us. After the uh, period, and and some people believe, Bob, and you've covered every game with Chicago Stadium, the United Center, people tell me, and I got here in 79, but prior to that, the Blazers-Bulls playoff game, when you had Walton come in and he was taking on artist Gilmore, that that could be, other than the Jordan era, maybe the greatest series in Bulls history. That, maybe Golden State, a couple years even prior to that. But is that an accurate assessment of when the Bulls played the Blazers yes. in the 77? Lucas was with Portland. Maurice Lucas. Maurice Lucas and Gilmore. With us, oh yes, that they had a that was the year I think Portland won it, nineteen seventy seven, and they edged us out in the three game series playoffs. Yes, Portland had a real good team, and we had a fairly good team with Gilmore. And there was also a mini three game series back in the eighties, folks, 
with the Knicks and the Bulls. Jerry Sloan was the head coach of the Bulls. And the Bulls went into the Garden in New York and beat the Knicks, came back and won here. And the, the building at Chicago Stadium could be the loudest I've ever heard for that particular game. That place got crazy. And then Boston swept the Bulls in four straight under Larry right. Bird. But that place was always loud, Swartz. Well, not always, but it, Rosie, it you sure know, like the attendance for Bulls games prior to Jordan. I mean, they would bring, when, when the Celtics would come in, the Lakers would come in, there would be uh, SRO. But on a Tuesday night, in fact, when I was doing PA for the Bulls for the three years, I remember David Greenwood looking around just prior to tip. David Greenwood was the second overall player taking the 79 draft. The Bulls lost the flip. And the Lakers had New Orleans pick in a previous trade for Gail Goodrich. And that's how they got Magic Johnson. Correct. The Bulls selected David Greenwood, All-American, 6'9", out of UCLA. Very nice man. I love David. Um, I was representing the Bulls in New York with that draft, me and Bob Logan. Oh, I didn't know that. Bob Logan, a writer Mm -hmm. for the Tribune and for basketball news and whatnot, a very established basketball writer during those days. And I was told to take originally... Uh, Lambeer. And Lambeer was taken right above us from by Cleveland. Well, I mean, that, that draft, it was, number one was Magic Johnson, number two was David Greenwood. No, so, Bird. Bird was drafted in the previous draft in 78 by Boston, the sixth overall. In fact, I talked to Larry about that draft because there was a loophole in how you could draft players back then. The Celtics drafted Larry Bird a year prior to him coming out of Indiana State. And so Red Arbach would call Larry Bird. In fact, Larry Bird told me, Bob, that Red Arbach wanted him to play for the Celtics immediately after the NCAA championship game when they lost to Magic Johnson and Michigan State. He was property of the Celtics. He wanted to sign him a day after the NCAA Final Four championship game and play the remaining dozen games for Boston in 79, which he did not. And he started his rookie year in 79, 80, the magic year. But, but Bob, you know, David Greenwood was looking around the stands one day, and this is on a weeknight, and I'm sitting there at courtside right next to you, and he's looking around right before tip, and he says, Chuck, you de- better do yourself a favor. I said, what's that, David? He says, you better introduce the crowd and then introduce us. Because there were some lean, lean times here. And what I'll always remember about that period before Jordan, the classiness of a guy like Rod Thorne. Rod Thorne was a, and is a good, good man. Yes, he was. I mean, he is, to me, one of the finest gentlemen. And by his own admission, he looks back at some of the draft picks. I mean, Ronnie Lester had a, had a knee situation. Quentin Daly had off-the-court issues, as we know. Uh, Orlando Woolridge you know, had some inconsistencies, but he drafted Michael Jordan. When Jordan came here, did you have any relationship with him when he would check in? Was he always focused or would he kind no, of kibitz with you? We, we talked, and then as he asked me if I would do his scrapbook for him because I would do, I did Love, Sloan, Rogers, Van Leer. I said, sure. So I was doing his scrapbook for him ever since he started here. So his rookie year, 84-85, and he sees you every ball game. Because, Bob, have you ever missed a game, by the way? Yes. 
two in uh, March 31st of 2000 and April 2nd because Major League Baseball asked me to be the official score for the Mets-Cubs opening series in Tokyo, Japan. Thanks for tuning in to the Time Out Bulls podcast driven by Lexus. The redesigned Lexus RX is the perfect blend of chiseled design, aggressive performance, and luxury finishes. And with 44 inches of legroom, even our Bulls athletes would be comfortable in one. Visit your Chicago area and Northwest Indiana Lexus dealer to test drive an RX today. Wait a minute. Major League Baseball asked you to get on a plane, fly over to Tokyo to be the official score for a, a game featuring the Mets and the Cubs? Two-game series opening of the 2000 season. I was there 14 days. You were there 14 days? Everything. Major League Baseball. So they took care of everything. And that was the year when we won only 13 games. <laughs> I almost was not going to go. But the, but so you missed you missed a game during that span, and the other game you missed was? Both was that same week. The, so other than that, I mean, you've, you've never been ill. Or if you well, have, I have, I've been but, there. But you've been here. So let's go back. So Jordan wants you to put a scrapbook together, and you did that for every season he played here. Yeah. And... I mean, that that's pretty nice. Mm-hmm. But he took care of me, so. <laughs> How do you take care of you? That I won't uh, that You're not going to reveal it? Not right. even on our podcast? No. Bob, okay. I thought we might get a scoop here. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, do you stay in touch with Michael, or is that no, once he left? if he comes here, and when I go into the Bulls locker room, he's usually hiding in there in the back where the writers aren't allowed. Okay. Uh, during that that run of championships, how how crazy was it here in Chicago? First at the stadium, and then at the United Center. It, it, it was something else, Chuck. And I'm glad that I was fortunate enough to be here for those six years that we won. It, it it's hard to even think about it. What it was. Because where you sit, Bob, you sit, you have the best seat in the house. You are at midcourt, and you see everything. So once the game is over, when they won championships in Chicago, you were right there and saw the confetti coming down. You saw the players embracing. You saw the crowd get into it. It was was wild. It is a wild championship celebration. And then I take the stats into the locker room. And the one year, Harper said, I got something for you, Bob, over by my locker there. So I go over there. I bend down, he pours a bottle of champagne on me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so during the championship celebration, a player actually poured champagne on top of your head. Yeah. All right. <laughs> That's good stuff. I like that. So tell me about your game day activities. When do you arrive? What do you do to, to set up, so to speak, for your responsibilities as an official scorer? Okay, I normally get here by 3. And then... For a 7 o'clock tip. See, and then I'm in with Neil and Hallam. Okay. We BS for an hour or so and talk about different things. Then I go, I got to pick up the programs that they put on the side for the press, the game notes, put them on a the counter for the press. Then I'll take 
a stack of game notes to the visiting team and to the Bulls, to the players and the coaches and all that. Then about hmm, 6 o'clock or a little before, I go and check to see if the referees that you get on the computer are the right ones. Then I go with the active list, active inactive list. I give one to each team, and they're supposed to have that for me about half an hour before the game, who's active, who isn't, and then they give me the lineups. I take them in. We make copies. I give copies to the two coaches out to the table to the guys that work there. And then Pam and all them will pass out all the others. And then I'm ready to go. Now, has there ever been a disagreement with when, when you're at the scorer's table? Does an official come over or does a, something happen? Or are you in total control? It's your table. If, if, if there's something that goes wrong, the official will come to me on uh, timeouts, points, Stuff like that. See, you've got to be focused. I mean, you no, can't correct. take your eye off anything. No, you're right. And now, with the computer, when they put the stuff in there, and if him and Mark and I don't uh, agree, and Mark is the one who sits next to me to my right, okay, who puts in everything in the computer, you got to go by the book. So your word, your, word, your word is gospel, so to speak. It right. is a official, period. So, Bob, in your opinion, when you look at the 51 years uh, of Bulls basketball, what, what comes to your mind? Six championships. Six rings. And after Jordan left and you had those lean years, how, how difficult was it? knowing what you had just experienced in the previous 8, 10, 12 years. It was tough because the games were not exciting and you could fall asleep. <laughs> okay. Because we did not have good teams. Putting Jordan aside, who is the next best player you saw? Personally now, Bob, you've seen them all. 51 years. Think about this. I mean, it's a relic. You have seen everybody. Who is the second greatest player you've seen in person Boy. pass through Chicago? I, I I still like Chet Walker, Artis Gilmore. How about opposing players? Pippen, you know. Yeah, for the Bulls. Opposing players, geez. Bill Russell, Charles Barkley, Jerry West, Bob Pettit. Have you ever gone to a player other than the Bulls, and said, you know what, you are a fantastic player. And I know we, we in the media are not allowed to ask for autographs, and I get all that. But have you ever been so impressed with a player that you went to him and said, I'd love your autograph? Well, For the I, right reasons. I, I would get uh, Bob Pettit, because he was my favorite player when he was with the St. Louis Hawks. Mm -hmm. uh, Chamberlain. And that, that's about all, really, because I, I don't save autographs. Yeah. Uh, and that's a whole other topic that we could get into because 
You know, Bob, I grew up in a generation where if you got an autograph, it was there was an attachment to it. It was it wasn't just someone scribbling his name and, and on a program or a piece of paper. You took that with you everywhere you went. You put it under your pillow as a kid. You put it in your pocket. You wanted to show friends. You would, you know, stick it on the wall at home. Somewhere that was special. It wasn't, hey, I got somebody's autograph, and now I'm going to go put it on eBay and try and sell it. We didn't have eBay when I was a no. kid. And nor would I if, I if it was available because I remember with autographs growing up in Seattle. And in those days, they would have double headers, especially in preseason. Mm-hmm. They would have double headers. And the Lakers are playing the Sonics in the second game of a doubleheader at the old Seattle Center Coliseum. And watching the first game, I think Houston was playing San Diego. No, it was San Diego. San Diego moved to Houston. It was Houston playing Philadelphia. Philadelphia had come west for some reason. And there is Chamberlain sitting by himself. Now, again, this is game one. It's in the second quarter. It's, you know, three hours before the second game. And all of a sudden, there are about 10 of us kids who realize, that's Will Chamberlain. So we make a mad rush, and as I'm the littlest kid, obviously, and I'm trying to get a hold of him, and I have a program, and it's rolled up like an old John Wooden program when he was on the bench for UCLA, and I accidentally hit Wilt Chamberlain on top of the head, and my heart sank, and he gave me that stare, and I said, I am so sorry, Mr. Chamberlain, and I called him Mr. Chamberlain, and I was very repentant because you don't want to hit somebody. It was an accident. I'm on the outside looking and trying to get, you know, through. And I couldn't because I'm just a, a, a small kid. And he said, come here, kid. And like all of a sudden, it was the party in the Red Sea. And everyone thought I was in trouble. And he said, hey, no problem. And he signed. He was awesome. Yes, he was. That he was. So... Well, Bob, listen, this has been great on our podcast. you want to add anything to our listeners on the podcast about 51 years with the Bulls? Yes, I had an incident in 67. Will Chamberlain complained that we were cheating him on assists. He was going for the record for the big men that year. Mm. Now, when did he notify you that he had a disagreement with you? Was it in-game, after the game, or the uh, next time he played you? No, it was the next time. Uh, The guy from the uh, Philadelphia Inquirer, he uh, wrote a story when they came in the next time. Bob Rosenberg and Chamberlain met again last night, and then he said what I made, what Chamberlain made, and that we shorted him assists and all that. Well, that game, Costello kept track and the PR guy. Well, Harvey Pollack and, and Larry Costello of right. the 76ers so organization. They had two assists at half, and that's what we had. And that's when Chamber came, nah, there's something wrong here. I said, well, ask your own men here. And they had exactly the same. He thought we were cheating them. There was no reason to cheat them we don't play those games and and being at the scores table you saw it all how about how about like altercations did you ever see you you were there the night with when Doug Collins was the head coach and Detroit and the Bulls really got into it I mean Rick Mahorn right in front of your very eyes the Knicks got in a fight with the Bulls right many right. times 
Do you ever fear for your safety at the school? Yes, course? especially when people throw things. What do you mean throw things? From the stands. Oh, back in those days. Well, they still do it once in a while now. And I'm afraid that, you know, we'd get hit. I know, but our security is, is terrific. Back, oh, yeah. But, but in those days, they didn't have the security like they have now. And, of course, with cameras and whatnot. But uh, I'm talking about, like, at the scores table, did you ever fear when players started going at it or when there was a, a brawl? Did, had, have you ever seen a, an NBA brawl? Yes. And one of them was Norm Van Leer with Sidney Wicks. And I said to myself, where is Norm Van Leer going? He don't give up that easy. He went and picked up a chair. He picked up a chair. And went after him. I'll <laughs> <laughs> have the good old days with the Chicago oh, Bulls. Doug Collins, uh, one day, uh, I had my head turned to the left. Boom. This Gatorade thing hit me in the face. And Doug Collins runs over. Oh, Rosie, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Nobody at the table would say who it was until he came over. I says, Doug. You threw money at Tommy Edwards and I when you were Philadelphia and you pick it off the floor. Okay. Every day I'd go in for the lineups. So the next game I'd go in for the lineups, doors closed, I'd go in, we'd talk for a while. Every, all the players were in there. Michael went and knocked on the door. Uh, Rosie wants the lineups. Well, why doesn't he come in? We're, you know, well, he's afraid of you. He comes out, I had a catcher's mask on. Well, the guys were <laughs> broke up laughing. That's a great story. Yes. That was a great story. Wow. Well, listen, we appreciate your time, Bob. Thank you. And uh, we wish you good health for another 51 years of covering Chicago Bulls basketball. Yeah, well, will see how many rings I get then. All right. Well, hopefully soon, very yes. soon. This is Chuck Swirsky. Thanks for joining us today on Time Out Bulls. We'll return next week right here on our weekly Bulls podcast. Lexus is a proud partner of the Chicago Bulls. Visit your Chicago area Northwest Indiana Lexus dealer to see how sophistication can be daring in the redesigned 2017 Lexus RX.